This is Fundraising Radio, and today our guest speaker is Ryan Hickman, co-founder of Epic AI. And today, in this episode, we're going to talk about financing your startup through debt. Many founders really, I think, underestimate the power of debt and think of it as of something for standard business available only from banks. Um, it's not the case anymore, and today we're going to talk about that. So, Ryan, let's kick off by you giving us some background on yourself and on Epic AI. Sure, sure. So uh, my background's in frontier tech. Uh, I advise and led digital transformation across innovation teams in Adidas, uh, Google, Google Wallet specifically, Unilever, uh, Verizon Enterprise. Uh, my partner and I are super passionate makers at heart. Uh, we've independently journeyed the startup world uh, with our own uh, loss, our own successes, and even exits. Uh, he to GMAC, which is now Ally uh, Financial with an insurance tech platform, me to a PE firm with an ad tech platform. Um, about seven years ago, we united to fix a broken startup where I came in to save the technology. He, on the operations, uh, was an influencer management product, and uh, we were able to just deliver the product, bring in some sizable revenues from JBL, Pepsi, the NBA, a few startups, and together we sold that uh, to KGRI for $10 million. Um, since we've continued to be makers, We've kind of evolved into this adventure studio while that name didn't exist when we executing <laughs> our, our, our thesis that way. It's fundamentally what we are, where uh, what we're called Epic, uh, where we focus on helping founders build the future. Um, our charter is really leveraging frontier tech like machine learning, artificial intelligence, and uh, tapping into new workflow processes like low code, no code. And we use that to create products to help these founders. Uh, we advise many of these founders. Uh, we even invest in some of these founders. Uh, we, we aspire to incubate some of these founders one day, which is, which is it's a roadmap. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's who we are. That's awesome. So let's talk a little bit about Epic AI. So it says on the website of epic.ai that you help raising capital. Uh, can we go a little bit in depth into this? What resources do you provide? What sort of tools do you have there? Absolutely. So we, we have uh, a myriad of products that are either enablers in the fundraising journey, um, products for growth, products for making you know, materials, products for reaching investors and investor databases, CRM, etc., as well as some funding resources as well. Um, I could you know, start either either or. Um, so on the on the technology side, uh, the product side, um, our most popular product is called Investor Intelligence. Uh, it's a CRM where we are really focused on transforming thought processes around fundraising. Right? Fun founders' greatest weaknesses is, is their inability to properly communicate their business. <laughs> they're immersed, right? They're, they're intoxicated with their product. And um, so what we help them do through Investor Intelligence is we help activate them on this process that is a, a, a kind of sales process reinvented for fundraising. Right? It's, it's how do you network? How do you create visibility? How do you share your updates and your growth? How do you really um, create the relationships that are going to be the, 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 the bedrock for getting successful investor meetings and ultimately getting checks? And that product has uh, is uh, a little over 5,000 customers on or 5,000 users on it. Um, that use it for free, and then there's because there's free plans, and then there's 200 customers that have either paid or are paying 
using it, many of which uh, have went to raise uh, capital. Um, one of our, our so the, there's two really interesting success cases. The first success case was our third customer. He signed up, and uh, 20 days later, he called us and said, "Hey guys, I need to cancel my account." And we were really, really frustrated. And he it turned out it was because we asked him why. He said, "Because I raised the capital." <laughs> and we said, "Well, great. This is a this is a really interesting dilemma for us. It's a paradox. Like, if, if they raise money or they don't, they they leave the platform in short order. So there's it's an interesting churn on on that product." Um, but then another use case was uh, we had a gentleman who had just moved to New York. He incubated a, a, a company, and he didn't have a network in New York. And we were able to help him through the platform, build a network. And in three months, he was able to raise uh, a little over a million dollars for his, uh, for his uh, platform. So it, it was incredible. So, um, you know, it's, it's document tracking. Uh, it's... Set, the platform sends emails. It has a database of over 100,000 family offices, angels, VCs, pretty much everybody that's in the space. Um, and it's a, it's a great resource if you are, um, if you meet that fit of a highly uh, large size market, uh, if you meet that fit of a highly investable company where you can show the business attributes more so than the product attributes. It's, it's great. And then the other product that's really uh, becoming increasingly popular for us is uh, Alternative Capital, mm -hmm. which is an RBF product. So uh, to clarify, RBF stands for Revenue-Based Fund, right? And today we're mainly going to focus on that, so I'm glad that you mentioned it. So let's talk about how Revenue-Based Funds work. So it's it's interesting because it's evolving, it's, it's changing. So. Um, on the outset, um, it's 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 merchant factoring reimagined. So merchant factoring has been around since the 80s. Uh, in merchant factoring, let's say I'm a, a, a bakery and I need a, a, an excess amount of, of materials to be able to produce enough supply to, uh, to facilitate the demand that's coming into my bakery. So, um, and, but I'm cash strapped, you know, my cash flow is limited. So what I would do is I would go to a merchant lender and they would connect to my credit card processing system and for, for, they would loan me money. Uh, and then I would, for every transaction that went through my credit card processing system, they would take their piece out with some interest baked in. And um, it had a bunch of variables to it that made it a bit more complex. Um, around times and rates and, and it's a little different. Um, in the last, call it 10 years or so, uh, that has been reimagined and it's been called either our revenue-based funding or RBF, or in some instances they're trying to even reimagine it and call it uh, venture uh, venture debt. Um, mm -hmm. Just just to stay focused um, on the, on the revenue-based funding side of it. So typically what you experience is, uh, and I'll make the math easy, you take a company that's that's making, call it, five thousand a month in revenue, and you look, you know, you, you calculate their growth and you look for reasonable growth because they need to be able to continue to operate and not and not lose their shirts over the the repayment months. Um, and what they 
do what we do or what an rbf fund does is looks at that growth and extrapolates it across the year so let's say that 5k a month um, with a you know sizable 10 uh, percent growth rate um, uh, monthly compounded um, looks like hundred and twenty thousand dollars in annual revenue um, what we'll do is then we'll, we'll basically start at 30% of that in a term sheet. So we'll look also look at the industry, we'll look at some of the risk factors uh, and some of the nuances of the business, the team, and we'll pre uh, prepare a term sheet that we'll ship over um, per you, that startup or company signing it. We uh, connect to the bank account and then we uh, capitalize their business and we withdraw the money on a monthly basis based on uh, the repayment plan is based on what they earn. So this is the real, this is the most important thing that differentiates RBF and uh, called a traditional loan. In a traditional loan, you're going to have a fixed term with a fixed uh, repayment amount every month. So you take out a loan for, for $12,000 on the course of the year, and you're going to pay them call it $1,000 a month for that 12-month period. There's penalties. Mm -hmm. There's a there's a bunch of of instruments. Uh, uh, that are in that uh, that that instrument, or uh, rules that are in that that instrument. In uh, RBF, it varies because the repayment plan is flexible based on the amount that you make. So, uh, if you make more in month one, then the repayment amount will be more going to that uh, that principal. Whereas if you make less because let's say a, a phenomenon like this, you know, COVID happens, then uh, when your revenues deteriorate, your payments will also drop. So it's 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 a more flexible way of taking on debt um, without taking on that risk of massive monthly payments. Now, mm -hmm. something that's important is it comes at a greater cost. So, uh, you know, RBF is upwards of 30% in some instances um, but what we're seeing because of this this uh, this willingness this this phenomenon where people are willing and uh, some are able to help we're seeing transformations in those fees where the the RBF funds are taking on some of that risk to really help some of these companies so that they don't belly up, so that they're able to carry their employees, so that they're able to continue to grow. So um, we're seeing rates now as low as 5%, which is, which is, which is unheard. Oh yeah. Especially during the crisis. That's, that's really impressive to be quite honest. So let's talk a little bit about pros and cons of uh, debt financing. So I guess the first major pro of debt financing is that you're not diluting your your share in the company. Let's go a little bit to the darker side. What are the downsides of using debt financing? So, like I mentioned before, the term sheets are evolving. They're becoming way more complex. So, with with the fees coming down, um, there has to be a reason that the the funds are the LPs of the funds are going to take on that repayment risk. So what they're doing is they're uh, often turning the, turning the collateralizing equity at, against the, 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 the loan. So there are instances where they're more predatory. There are more uh, 
RBFs that have a predator mentality where it's we are going to deploy the capital, we are going to take a massive amount of ownership in your company. If you can't repay that against the schedule and you default on that, then we're we're basically going to perform a hostile takeover and and it will become our company. That's one of the biggest um, risks. And in your term sheet and in any of your documents, you really have to pay attention and make sure that you're, you're not partnering with an RBF fund that is, is going to take an unreasonable amount of collateralized equity. That's, that's a dangerous thing. Right. That sounds like the main concern of many founders to, to, to be unable to pay for, for, for the debt and actually default on that, on that, uh, on a loan and actually lose like big chunk of their company. So that's another part which I want to really talk about it's what happens when the company goes bankrupt and has this uh, and had borrowed money from a uh, revenue-based fund so it all depends right so if if you're if you're a company who is making a lot of money you're just really tight on your margins um, or your cat you have some cash flow issues because your cost of infrastructure and operations and expenses are too high excuse me, are too high, uh, you know, then you, your terms are going to be a little different than somebody who is, um, who is, you know, either lower or higher risk. So it's going to impact, it's going to present itself in your term, uh, within the term sheet itself. So if I, if I am in, in very much need of the funding and I, collateralize uh, all my equity and I put personal guarantees and then I'm unable to pay and the company shuts down um, then I'm personally at risk where uh, the RBF fund could file the UCC against me um, um, which makes it a very litigious situation um, and they can come after other assets and take lien positions against my other assets in some cases there are funds that do require those personal guarantees in many other cases they'll um, they'll forego those types of personal guarantees but they'll introduce an extremely high rate so when you when you look at the real terms and you, and you look at it annually you can pound it properly um, it will say on paper eight nine percent but in actuality it will look like 30 percent um, on the, the total amount. So you, you have to be really careful about the terms um, because all RBF is not created equal. Right. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Just always read the TAM documents. So uh, let's talk a little bit about the current situation with the coronavirus outbreak. How are the revenue-based funds feeling right now? What What's going on there? Is it still a good source of funding for startups or should they wait for a couple of months till the dust settles? So on, so we're, we have this wonderful opportunity because of our investor intelligence platform to see behavioral trends. We can see when investors are opening decks. We can see when they're responding to emails. We have great visibility into that, that process, that funnel. That funnel has dropped 93%. Oh, okay. um, and it, it's, it's, 
alarming. So what we did is we sent out a, a survey to all of the investors in our database. We had a solid response rate. And a lot of the VC community, um, the, the optimism is seeing these things kick back and start to come back to life in October. But that's, that's the optimism um, in, in the industry. So the sentiment is that VC is, is on ice until fourth quarter. So because of that, you know, when we're in one Google Analytics dashboard, everything's going down. The irony is in the, in, in the RBF Google Analytics dashboard for alternative capital, the analytics are going through the roof. So we're getting a significant more amount of applications daily uh, because founders are in need of, of, of capital regardless, not specific if it's, you know, VC capital or debt. They just need capital to grow. They need capital to kind of solve this this pain, where they have to potentially let people go, let stack go, let infrastructure go, and it's it's a really rough time. So we're seeing a lot more applications. The issue is there there a lot of them are not qualified to get RBF. The 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 key ingredient to RBF is you have to have revenue. You're you're getting right. a loan based on your ability to have predictable, scalable, growing revenue in the future. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah, that sounds pretty, pretty sad to be quite honest, especially the first part. Uh, so let's talk, let's try to make it a little bit more positive. What should people do right now if they're really, if they really need capital right now and just can't wait for till October? What should they do if they have no revenue? So it's, it's not that they can't, it's not that there aren't going to be people that will close deals in between now and call it October. It's that the sentiment is that things are a, a little bleak. And, you know, the best thing that any startup can do is focus on growth. And it's less about resources it's more about being resourceful. So it's, it's thinking about how you can create revenue with your product at earlier stages of your, your release life cycle. Um, for example, uh, we watched a group who had a, they were creating something similar to Clearview, where they were uh, gathering uh, insight about uh, audiences and helping marketers the resolution on identity of people who visited the site, people that were subscribed to the emails, etc. Mm -hmm. And instead of building out this product, which you know they, they figured it's a quarter million or so in terms of, of, of cost, they fired up WordPress, fired up a, a landing page, threw people at the landing page, and started to close sales. They, they pushed their customer base through Panda, PandaDoc, um, you, you Stripe, you know, all low code, and they, they were resourceful, and they were able to put revenue on the books and expand the options that they have to access resources like RBF, resources like, um, like uh, uh, even venture capital. I mean, venture capital is, 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 the other thing with venture capital is that it's going to completely shift because their biggest bets in their portfolios are at extremely high risks. Um, mm -hmm. because of the, the, those portfolio companies dependent 
see on the macroeconomics. So, you know, a lot of a lot of what FBC's attention is going to right now isn't necessarily making new intros. It's really going in and making sure that the existing pieces of of of, of interest that their LPs have are going to perform. The worst thing a fund can do right now is not hunker down with the quote uh, you know teams that they do have. Uh, so so again, I, I'm a big believer in the ideology of you know go for the growth, find a smart way, uh, a, res a resourceful way to get customers into your product in some capacity. If you if you're pre-product um, and you're raising money on ideas, uh, you know right now I would say that's going to be near impossible. Um, and it's not it's not to to you know be negative it's to help people refactor their thinking and make them look at what they're doing in a different light the, the when the economy's up that's really easy to do you can you can sell a dream and, and get 10 million dollars and, and 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 you know build something amazing incredible or even lose um, you know but the 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 idea that if you if you build a smart business that generates revenue in a scalable market, you can transform that over time into an incredible opportunity, not just for you, but any LPs, any funds, any um, any any you know, capital resources that are going to get involved. But you got to show that you can do it. You got to show that you can create a massive waitlist. You got to show you can get adoption. You got to show you can retain this audience. So. Right. I totally agree with you on this. Just, I think you have to grow sales every, every day you have to think, how can I grow my sales and customer base? So let's go back to the beginning of our episode where you've mentioned investor intelligence and that through that uh, tool, you're offering a lot of options to outreach. But one of them you mentioned is uh, online presence of a startup. Can you talk a little bit about that? What do you mean by online presence? Yeah, so we, we have a product that we launched called uh, Motivus, um, and the, the and I can shoot you the links and, and so you guys can take a look. Um, so, but Motivus is a a growth platform, so we're similar uh, to be the greatest greatest example, um, similar to I say exact target in a lot of ways. So we've amassed all this investor data, and then. We then went through the process of amassing other data segments in other categories. So there's a there's a life insurance company, for instance, that wanted to build out leads because they were introducing a new uh, uh, product, a product around simple issue. So a product where you can get life insurance without needing to get a medical exam, which is typically the, the friction point in getting life insurance. Um, you know what the what what the COVID nineteen um, circumstance created was a interest in families protecting themselves as well as their their finances. So what they wanted to do was get in front of that audience, get in front of those medical professionals that had that that those thought processes, get in front of those those um, just anybody really. And um, what we what Motivus did was. Uh, it allowed us to profile that audience and, and service up those that audience and activate a direct marketing campaign through email, through retargeting, um, uh, 
and, and, and some other direct marketing efforts so that they can uh, create a new uh, audience. As a result, um, they were able to generate uh, over $3 million in business um, in a really short window of time. So um, what, what, what the Motivist product is really about is just really helping, uh, helping the companies with that sales process if in fact they can they have a product that they can fulfill for end usage awesome that sounds like a helpful tool so uh, i'll definitely post a link to this tool in the description of this episode so check it out and let's move on to our probably last question then we'll wrap it up so my standard question to basically all my uh speakers is this what would be your advice to someone who's just beginning his or her journey in the startup world and thinking, uh, what should be my first I don't know, three steps to fundraise to actually get to the point where I get the check? Go after growth. A business that is not growing is a business that is dying. So go after growth. Really narrow down what your KPI is. If you're in, in a, uh, a subscription company, your products you know, has a recurring revenue, then retention is, is your KPI. You need to focus on retention and mm-hmm. really creating magical experiences that your customers can't live without and go for the growth at all costs. Um, talk to your customers. A lot of, you know, a lot of technical founders are introverts and <laughs> automate everything. <laughs> you know, here, right. Submit a ticket. <laughs> pick, pick up your phone You'll, there's nothing new right there's nothing new under the sun it's not what you do it's how it's done I'm a firm believer in it there's, there's, if you make a CRM there's a million CRMs if you make a CMS there's a million CMSs if you put your twist on it I guarantee you somewhere it exists you just don't know it <laughs> What makes what you're doing special is how you connect to that audience. I, I akin it to the burger, right? Where I live, there's an abundance. It's one of the largest food cap, uh, food. Uh, there's the largest amount of restaurants per capita than anywhere in the world, right? It's it's insane. There's every there's one street where there's every single burger joint you can imagine. In and Out, Carl's Jr. Uh, there's a Bobby Flay Burger. There's a Burger King, Wendy's, all the all the usual namespaces. And it's like, well, why, why can all of these burger places coexist? And it's about the, the way that they connect with the customers. And when you look at the software industries like that, when you look at technology like that, you know, how come this CRM can, how come Zoho can live in a world where Salesforce exists? And how could Pipedrive live in a world where both of those, those players exist? It's because the Salesforce guys have their way of picking up the phone and engaging their customers and creating culture, and the Pipe Drives guys has their way. And if you're conscious of the, the conscious of what it really takes to grow, that it's about brand. It has the greatest ROI, not product, not code. Don't solve code problems. They don't. They, they're important, but in the end, they don't matter. It's 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 your responsiveness on the phone. It's your, it's how quickly you can get back to somebody on email or any method of communication that they're using. How fast you can service their problem. When you don't have a feature and they suggest it and you can ship some type of process to realize that feature, you accommodating them is your product, not the code. 
and it's that that creates a 12 plus lifetime value in months in that relationship. So the best advice that any you know person that's going to build any kind of product, not just technology, it's to really understand what it means to focus on your customers and those brand associated relationships. That's great advice. I think many people really underestimate the power of connection to the customer, gathering feedback, etc. So I think that's great. And at this point, right after this great advice, we're going to wrap it up. Thanks, Ryan, for coming up. Thanks for sharing your experience and, and telling us about revenue-based funds. And have a great week. Stay safe. Awesome. Stay safe, guys. You really thought it's the end of the episode? Nope, not yet. In these uncertain times, when a weird virus is spinning out of control, and investors are trying to figure out where to put their money and not to lose it all, I have an answer. Invest in human capital. I will be among the first 10 people to participate in something called human IPO. So shortly about how it works. You can buy futures on my time now when it costs just $100 per hour. And when I become Mark Zuckerberg 2.0 and my time is worth $1,000 per hour, you can sell it or redeem it, either making 10x return or bringing me to your firm as an advisor or speaker for a few hours. My offering is not live yet, so now you can only subscribe to my updates, but please do so and become the first one to buy my time when my offering goes live. To sum it up, in dark days, buy time, not toilet paper, and your money won't be flushed into the toilet. I'll leave a link to my profile on Human IPO in the description of this episode, and thanks again for listening to Fundraising Radio.